Good morning, Anchor. How are you all today? Hallelujah. God is good, isn't he? Well, you, you get to listen to me today. And my wife told me this morning, Debbie, if you don't know my wife, Debbie, she told me to tell you what I know and then sit down. So in conclusion, <laughs> ah, it is good to be in God's house, isn't it? We're in Matthew chapter 25 today. Uh, this is actually the second of three parables that Jesus told. The parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus spoke often in parables, and for the next three weeks, uh, we'll be looking at, uh, you'll have Pastor Stephen next, and we'll be looking at a couple other parables. But Matthew chapter 25 is uh, the second of three. G, uh, the, the disciples asked Jesus in the beginning of chapter 24 what was going to be the sign of his coming and the end of the age. And Jesus went through 15 or so things to tell them what are going to be the signs of his coming. And then he gave three parables. In each of those parables, they're all basically tied together, but they all are given to us so that we would be ready. And so, Father, as we open your word today, we long for your appearing. We acknowledge it could be at any time, any moment. Help us as your church to redeem the time because the days are evil. Help us to run the race that you've marked out for us. Help us to fight the good fight. Help us not to get weary in well-doing. And help us to keep looking up. Encourage your church today, Lord. We need to hear from you. Your word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take the word of God, apply it to our hearts and our lives, that we might be better. And we give it all to you, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. I don't know how, much of, how many of you watch football, <clears throat> but Paul Bear Bryant was probably one of the greatest coaches of all time, mostly in college football. He's considered one of the greatest football coaches. Bryant's record in 38 years, he was coached at Maryland, Kentucky, Texas A&M, and a long time at Alabama. It included 323 wins. He also took 29 teams to the bowl games, and he led 15 of his teams to conference championships. In the 1960s and the 70s, no school won more games than Alabama. 193, 32, and 5. That's incredible. As one of his colleagues said, he wasn't just a coach, he was the coach. John Croyle, he was an All-American defensive end at the 1973 National Championship team, and he played for the Bear. He was dim, deeply impacted uh, by Coach Bryant and by his pregame speeches. 
Coach Bryant paced in front of his assembled team as the band played for the capacity crowd waiting outside in the stadium. He made eye contact with each player as he spoke these following words. In this game, there are going to be four or five plays that will determine the outcome of this contest. Four or five plays that will swing the momentum toward us or away from us. I don't know which plays these will be. You don't know which plays these will be either. All you can do is go out there and give all that you have on each and every play. If you are doing that on one of these crucial plays and you catch your opponent giving less, that play will swing things in our direction. And if we rise to the occasion like that, on those four or five plays, we are going to leave here today a winner. The Lord is coming. And if we're paying attention and we're watching and we're alert, we never know what God's going to do in our lives to impact our society. So Matthew chapter 25, if you have your Bible, I always encourage you to bring your Bible, or you can turn on your Bible. They're on almost every phone, iPad, uh, uh, mechanical uh, device, starting in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. So will be like, this is showing us that this is a parable. It's a comparison. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. That word foolish is the word where we get the word moron. Think about that. Jesus is basically calling the foolish morons. So, Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the morons took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, notice it says, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the morons said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. 
Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch. That's what we're commanded to do. So I have a few points for you today uh, about uh, get ready for here I come. Or as we think of the Lord, get ready for here he comes. If we went back to chapter 24, he basically gives us the, the summary for the next three parables. Starting in verse 42, he says, Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have, what? Stayed awake. He would have stayed awake. It would not have left his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready. You must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So in chapter 24, he basically gives us 15 signs that as we look at these signs today, many of them are being fulfilled right before our very eyes. Now I have a slide, and I'm not going to go through all of these signs with you, but just to give you an idea, uh, deception, false Christ, false teacher is going to be rising up. There's a whole list of 15 or so um, signs before the return of Christ. So there's no doubt, and from the early church on, the church was expecting the Lord to return. They were anticipating. Now, if we weren't, if we knew, if you knew the exact time that the Lord was coming, let's say that it was a hundred years from now. That if he told us exactly when the day was that he was coming, what do you think the church would do? By nature, we would tend to be lazy. We would tend to think, well, he's not coming now, so I have time. We tend to delay. We tend to put off what we should be doing. Well, you know, he's not coming for another hundred years. We have time. And so he doesn't tell us what time. As a matter of fact, the coming of the Lord, the second coming, there were 300, approximately 300 prophecies about his first coming. And they were fulfilled. He came. But there are approximately a thousand prophecies of his second coming. If he fulfilled those 300, don't you think he's going to fulfill the 1,000? Yes, he's going to fulfill these. And so he is coming again. And we don't know when. So he wants us, as he says 2,000 years ago, he says, be ready. Be ready. So we don't know the time of his coming. We don't know 
when or exactly what time. We do know the seasons that he's coming, and so we need to be ready. So I have, I have six points, seven points for you. You'll have to write them down because I, I probably shouldn't even told you that because I almost hate putting them on the screen because what if the Lord led some way else? Then I'm stuck to my outline. But we're going to let the Holy Spirit teach us, right? We're going to let the Holy Spirit give us his instruction on this. So here's, here's your first point. There's no slide for it. But the first point is wake up. The church needs to wake up. He says in verse chapter 24, verses 42 to 43, we just, we just uh, read it. Stay awake. He says again in verse 43, stay awake. He says in verse 44, be ready. Be ready. And as we get into our parable, he says in verse 5 of chapter 25, as the bridegroom was delayed. You know, as a matter of fact, the, the book of Jude says that uh, many scoffers will come in the last days and say, oh, it's been like this forever. What is the sign of his coming? And they're going to scoff because they anticipated him to come right away. But it says Jesus delayed, or when the bridegroom delayed. Now, just a point of clarification. Many people interpret uh, uh, parables like allegories. In an allegory, every part of the story represents something. And so they would say this part, which in some cases, parables do do that. But for the most part, a parable has one main point that it's trying to get across. Even though as we look in the parable, we would say that the bridegroom, no doubt, is Jesus. And no doubt, we are the bride. But not every part of the parable means something. It's a, there's a point. And the point of these parables is to be ready, to wake up. And so he says in verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. I think sometimes that's what's happening in the church. I think we're becoming drowsy. Oh, things have been going on. Oh, things are difficult. Life is, life is hard. And we get focused on everything else out there. And we forget the, the main thing that we're here for. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Notice it says there in verse 5, they all became drowsy. Everybody, it seems like everybody seems to be becoming drowsy. As a matter of fact, it says in Luke chapter 12, verse 37... Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Wake up! 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman 
and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. No, we're not to be surprised. We're not in darkness for that day to surprise us. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. We are to be awake. Mark chapter 13, verse 37, that I say unto you all, stay awake. But maybe the word we should be hearing is, wake up! Wake up! But notice, number two, we should all watch. Verse Chapter 24, verse 44. Therefore, you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at the hour you do not expect. We need to stay focused. There's a story in uh, the book of Acts about Eutychus. You remember Eutychus? You know Eutychus? This means yeah. This means no. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. Eutychus, Paul was preaching. Paul was preaching and Eutychus, the Bible tells us that Eutychus was sitting in the window on the third floor. Now in those days, they didn't have the windows necessarily on the, like we do. So it's basically an open, win, open area there. And picture Eutychus sitting in this window and he's got one leg out and he's got one leg in. That's a problem. Because when something exciting was going on outside, Eutychus is looking over there. And when Paul hits a good point, something on, on the inside, Eutychus is looking over there. So, outside, inside. And because Eutychus wasn't committed anywhere, Eutychus fell asleep. And it says he fell from the third floor onto the ground, dead. See, that's what happens to the church when we're sleeping. When we're sleeping, we're dying spiritually. We have to wake up. We have to stay awake. And yet the world tugs at us, lulls us into sleep. It tells us, nice things and we begin to forget why we're here and we tend to fall asleep hebrews warns us about drifting that it's a danger for us to drift and that idea of drifting is the idea of a planet it's just kind of floating in space just just there and the danger of the church is that we fall asleep and that we doze off and we're not paying attention. Matthew chapter 16 says the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign. See, we like signs from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather. For the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today. For the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs 
of the times. We need to be able to see what's going on around us and interpret the signs of the times. Luke chapter 21 and verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing now. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord came like right now? I mentioned it to someone. I said, you know, the Lord could come at any time. And he said, well, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Are we ready? You know, I better take short accounts of, of my sins. I don't want the Lord to find me in the middle of it or with unconfessed sins. We need to purify ourselves so much more as we see that day approaching. So all three of these parables, what caused the servants' downfall? What happened to them? In each of these parables, something went wrong in their hearts. They ceased to expect the Lord's return. They ceased to expect the Lord's return. He lived like the world, mistreated his fellow servants. Whenever God's servants cannot work together, it is often because somebody has forgotten that the Lord will return. Look for, looking for his appearing and loving his appearing should motivate us. Prophecy is not meant to scare us. I know people that wouldn't come to a prophecy class because they said they were afraid. They were afraid of what's coming. Do you believe that God's in control? Yeah. Boy, that was a little weak, you know. You guys think the Lord's in control? Yeah. Amen. The Lord's in control. So nothing can happen to us unless it goes past his desk and he signs off on it. I tell people I'm immortal till God's done with me. Right? And when God's done with me, nobody can keep me alive. So if God's done with me and I keel over here, just roll me off, Stephen, finish up, uh, take my, you can do it. He can do it. When I'm gone, I'm gone. When I'm dead, I'm dead. And everything I've read about heaven is a good place, right? Why do we fight so hard to stay out of there? He's placed eternity in our hearts. I visited with a lady yesterday and I told her, I'm going to ask God to give me a room right next to yours in heaven. We'll just celebrate for all eternity. Do we really believe that? That the Lord is coming, and so we should be longing for his appearing. So number one, it was wake up. Number two is watch. And the first three are somewhat similar. The third one is to wait, to wait expectantly. We should be longing, the, the foolish and the wise, the foolish were morons. They weren't ready. They weren't paying attention. They were caught up in all the affairs of the day. James chapter 5, verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. So how do we, how do we wait? We establish our hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Colossians chapter 3, probably my favorite verses in, uh, in the book of Colossians. If then, and maybe we should translate it, since you have been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, he's coming. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's coming. And we should be walking. We should be waiting. We should be ready when he comes. He is our life. Is Christ your life today? Is he your life? Is he your everything? You know, idolatry is simply putting something ahead of God. And I've always believed that uh, all my furniture at my house faces my idol. Think about that. Where does all your furniture face? <laughs> Probably your TV. Does a TV become our idol? What becomes our What has taken the place of God? Recreation? Think about that word, recreation. We go out and we wreck creation. Think about that, huh? And many times it's become, I got to say, I'm going to Florida next, in a couple weeks, and, uh, but I'm not out there to wreck creation, but I get a, a new perspective again, you know, and, and see what's going on in the world. So number one, wake up. Number two, watch. Number three, wait. Number four, walk. We're supposed to walk in wisdom. You know, and you, I always compare it to rollerblading. Does anybody even rollerblade anymore? You rollerblade? Anybody rollerblade? Oh, back there, there's a rollerblader back there. Woo! And uh, I always compare walking to rollerblading uphill. What happens if you rollerblade uphill and you stop? Yeah, you're coming back down. You have to keep moving. That is like the Christian life. We have to keep walking. We have to keep going. Because as soon as you slow down, you start going backwards. You don't stay the same. You don't stay in the same place. You're either moving forward or you're going backwards. Is there ever a time in your life where you were more spiritual than you are today? Don't answer, but... If there was, that means you're backslidden. And so we need to walk. We need to keep walking with the Lord. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, we are children now. God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, he's coming. When he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. So if we have that hope within us, we purify ourselves. We don't want God to come back and catch us doing what we shouldn't be doing. We want God to cleanse us. We want to come before him. And Don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servants? I do. 
And I, I want them to find me working. I want them to find me walking. You know, that's why we have small groups. We learn and we grow and we continue to walk in small groups. Not just there. You should be having private devotions and, and spending time with God and having home worship and, and all those things. But part of our intention, we want to be intentional about walking with God. And so we have small groups. In those small groups, I thought it was pretty good in the last series we had where you could actually ask questions. That was pretty helpful. And there were a lot of great questions that were given. Well, you really can't normally do that in a sermon, but in a small group you can. In a small group, that's where we're real with each other, and that's where we share our heart, and that's where we ask questions, and that's where iron sharpens iron. And so we should get involved in a small group. And there's plenty of them out there. We have plenty of them, and we're always looking to start more. You can see Pastor Stephen on that. John chapter 8 and verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If we're following him, we have to stay in step with him. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, that in an order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We should be continually present, active, continuous. We might continually be walking in newness of life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk. Walk as children of light. Colossians 1, verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Jude, I love Jude verses 18 to 21. In the last time, there will be scoffers. This is the verse I told you earlier. Following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. See, we have a responsibility. We have to build ourselves up. We have to keep ourselves in the love of God. Number five, work. It's another one of our W's. Work. We should be working. Matthew chapter 24, starting in, in verse 46. Blessed is the servant who his master will find so doing when he comes. Matthew 25, verses 5 and 6, our parable. As the bridegroom was delayed, all, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. 
Come out and meet him. Do you know that you've been given a gift by God? Everybody has a gift. And I believe that everybody is a 10 in some area. You're a 10. And you've been given a gift. But you know your gift has been given to you to do what? To build up the body. Because we come to church, we get fed, we get built up, and then we go out into the mission field. So your gift is given to you to build up the body. So if you're not using your gift, we all suffer. If you don't use your gift, I'm not getting built up. I want to be built up. I want to be more like Jesus. And so you need to use your gift, whatever that might be. Use your gift. It builds up the body. It strengthens us so that we can go out into the world, be strong, be witnesses for him. And so you need to use your gift. I'm a little selfish. I want to be built up. I want you to use your gift. I want you to use your gift of encouragement, teaching, uh, whatever your gift might be, worship. I listen to these guys. They, the worship team got younger today. There were some young people up there. Isn't that awesome? We need those young people. They shouldn't be just sitting watching us old people. I know some of you aren't old people. I'm an old people. And I love to see the young people up there. We need to be ready to hand the torch over to them, the mantle over to them, so they can lead the work and go the way that they should be going. Amen? So it's encouraging to see them up there. And so we should be working. You know, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, uh, I think Charlton, my son-in-law, gave me a um, plaque. I used to have a man cave. It has now become the woman's den. My wife has taken over the man cave. I used to have men's groups in my man cave at a pool table, a big 8 to 12 inch screen where we would project the word of God and we'd have men over and once a month we'd have a steak fry and we'd invite guys to come and be part of our steak fry and then we'd share the gospel with them and sometimes we'd have 35 people in the man cave and so uh, I had signs up there, some sporting things. I have a, my crossbow up there and all that. I had a, a tear in the back and all the guys would come and we'd just have a great time. And poor Debbie, my wife, would have to fix up all the sides while we cooked all the steaks out on the grill. And it was, oh, it was just, oh, you feed them, they will come. And, uh, and Charlton gave me a little sign for my man cave. And on that sign, it said, Men of Issachar. Did you ever hear of the men of Issachar? I think it's First, first Chronicles. Uh, you can look up First Chronicles. First Chronicles 12, verse 32. It says about the men of Issachar, the men of Issachar were men who knew the times and knew what to do. These were those mighty men, these men of Issachar. They knew what was going on around them, and they knew what to do. I think we need some men of Issachar. Some godly, praise God for the women in the church. Praise, they seem to do most of the work in the church. But a strong church is made up of strong men. 
The church needs to have strong men that lead the way. And we need men of Issachar, men who are committed to God, men who believe God, men are willing to attempt great things for God, men who will say, I'm not going to just go for the things of this world, I'm going to go for the things of God, I'm going to surrender my life, I'm going to commit myself to Him, I'm going to allow Him to fill me and use me, even if it means sacrificing some of the things of this world so that God might use me, I might be an example to my family, I might be an example in my neighborhood. I might be an example in my church. Because when the men are strong, the church is strong. And we need strong men. Men who will say, Lord, I surrender all to you. 18 and 19-year-old kids attacked the beaches of Normandy so that we could have freedom. Courageous I'm sure scared. I'm sure uh, nobody wanted to die for their country. Nobody ever wants to die for their country. They used to tell us, make the other guy die for his country. Right? Go out victorious. And so we're looking for men of Issachar. Number six, witness. We must witness. And so Matthew chapter The third parable, I think, is often misunderstood, and we're not going to go into it, but the third parable, I believe the whole idea of that parable is to take the gifts that we've been given and witness for God. Uh, One of our uh, faithful attenders, uh, uh, Steve Durkasey, I've been visiting with his mother and his father. Uh, she had some severe cancer and seems to be getting close to home going. And uh, so I was over there yesterday and uh, spent some time with her. She's basically uh, unconscious now. But their s- sister was there, her f- close friend Yolanda. And we had the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with her. See, the opportunities are everywhere. If we would just open our eyes, he says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we will be witnesses. He wants us to witness for him. I haven't saved anybody ever. The Lord does, but he uses our witness. Again, back to Jude, uh, he talks about getting out there and snatching them even from the fire. The church has known for 2,000 years that Jesus is coming again, and yet many believers have become lethargic and drowsy. They are no longer excited about the soon coming of the Lord. As a result, there is little effective witness given, given that the Lord is returning. And then the last one, I don't know if this one's on the on the screen or not, is worship. John chapter 3, verse 29. These are our W's. Walking with God, witnessing, working, worship. These are our W's. We're intentional. These are not happenstance things that we just picked out of the sky. In light of God's coming, we need to be worshiping. John 3, verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly 
rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. We should be rejoicing. We should be worshiping. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Not to neglect the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day is drawing near. Wouldn't it be great if it was today? You wouldn't even have to worry about lunch. You know, Romans 14, 6 says, He who eats meat eats to the Lord. That's my light verse. <laughs> Give me a good New York strip steak thing. A friend of mine worked at Ruth Chris or somewhere, some big steak place, and he said, coat your steak with sugar. It crystallizes and it keeps all the juice inside for all you men. I think you should doubt me on this. Go home, buy a couple steaks, throw them on the grill, and test me. Prove me in this to see if it's true. In conclusion, in closing, author Doug Mendehall, I read this story, it was just, wow. He shared a brief parable, since we're looking at parables, and uh, wondered, as he read this parable, it should cause all of us to kind of pause and take and reflect. He said, he tells this story, Jesus called the other day to say that he was passing through and wondered if he could spend a day or two with us. Now think about this. Put yourself in this place. I answered the phone. I said, sure, love to see you. When will you hit town? He said, I mean, it's Jesus, you know, and it's not every day you get a chance to visit with it. It's not like it's your in-laws. You know the difference between in-laws and outlaws? Outlaws are wanted. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's Jesus, you know, not every day you get a chance to visit with him. So uh, it's not like your in-laws. You have to stop and decide whether the advantages outweigh uh, you having to move into the sleeper sofa. That's when Jesus told me he was actually at the convenience store out by the interstate. I must have gotten that Bambi in the headlights look because my wife hissed, What is it? What's wrong? Who is that? So I covered the receiver and told her Jesus was going to arrive in eight minutes. And she ran out of the room and started giving guidance to the kids in that effective way that marine drill instructors give guidance to recruits. My mind was already racing with what needed to be done in the next eight or seven minutes so Jesus wouldn't think we were reprobate loser slobs. I turned off the TV in the den, which was blaring some weird, scary movie that I'd been half watching. But I could still hear screams from our bedroom, so I turned off the reality show it was tuned to. 
Plus, I turned off the kids, uh, turned off the kids, sat out on the porch because I didn't want to have to explain John and Kate plus eight to Jesus, either six minutes from now. My wife had already thinned out the magazines that she had been accumulating on the coffee table. She put Christianity Today on top for a good first impression. Five minutes to go. I looked out the front window, but the yard actually looked great thanks to my long, hard work, so I let it go. What would I improve in four minutes anyway? I did notice the mail had come, so I ran out to grab it. Mostly it was Netflix envelopes and a bunch of catalogs tied into recent purchases. So I stuffed it back in the box. Jesus doesn't need to get the wrong idea three minutes from now about how much online shopping we do. I ran back in and picked up a bunch of shoes left by the door, tried to stuff them in the front closet, but it was overflowing with heavy coats and work coats, and snow coats, and pretty coats, and rain coats, and extra coats. We live in the South. Why do we buy so many coats? I squeezed the shoes in with two minutes to go. I plumped up sofa pillows. My wife tossed dishes into the sink. I scolded the kids, and she shooed the dog. With one minute left, I realized something important. Getting ready for a visit from Jesus is not an eight-minute job. Then the doorbell rang. What if Jesus was at the door? What if Jesus was five minutes away? It'd be great if he came while we were in church. See, Lord, we're worshiping. See that, Lord? See, we're faithful. But what about an hour from now? What about Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday? What if he comes unexpectedly? So, wake up. Wake up. We watch. Wait. Walk. Work. Witness. Worship. The Lord is coming. Are you ready? Father, you're a good father. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, we want to be ready. Help us to purify our own lives. Help us to keep looking up. Help us to wait. Our redemption is drawing nigh. Help us to grow and to become more like you, to worship you from the depths of our heart. Help us to complete the work that you called us, just like Jesus completed the work that you gave him to do. Help us, Lord. You are our life. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here today, if they died right now, they're not ready. They've never trusted you as their Savior and their Lord. Their name is not written down in that book of life. They've not received you as their Savior. Today they might think that they have time, but time is running out. 
Help them to see that today is the day of salvation. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, Jesus died on that old rugged cross for you. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, but that tomb could not hold him. He rose from the grave. He's seated at our Father's right hand. He's coming again in great power and glory. He tells us for as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Nobody gets to heaven except for saved people. Don't wait on that. Don't delay on that. Don't fall asleep on that. Today is the accepted time. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He's washed us white as snow. I prayed a prayer something like this many years ago. Maybe you want to pray it today. Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the tomb. I turn from going my way and I receive Christ as my Savior. He is the only way I acknowledge that. So forgive me of all of my sins and I will serve you for the rest of my life as you give me the grace to do it. If you're here today and you've prayed that prayer for the very first time, God hears that prayer. He transfers you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. He seals you until the day of redemption. He gives you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Isn't that incredible? that we could know our sins are forgiven and be okay with God? Be ready. So, Father, help us as a church to fight that good fight, run the race, witness for you, work for you, worship you, walk with you, and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. He's a good father, isn't he?